All right. Hello, everyone. This is Friday morning, and I'm here with my content creator, good friend, Hollywood insider, and overall good guy, Keith Rao. Keith, good oh, to see you again this week. <laughs> wow. Come on. I, I practiced that at least, at least three I, times. So I, had, <laughs> I didn't want to forget the last part. I was yeah, you got to include it. Overall good guy. Yeah. got to include that. That's part of the package. <laughs> All right, man. Snakes on the plane. That's what this week is. Yeah, huh? this week's poster, Snakes on a Plane. It was my uh, one of my first movies uh, in my Hollywood career, so I uh, was able to score a poster. Um, this was one. Of, this was the teaser one sheet, which was um, which was uh, which was a fun project to work on. It was it was great because it was one of the few projects I actually worked on where I was there from the beginning when the script was first turned in until the movie was released, which. Those of, the, those of our listeners who work in film development or any kind of development, content development, will know that that rarely happens. Yeah. Most of the time you usually come in mid-process and you know, your director drops out, your actor drops out, everything falls apart and you have to start over again. But luckily with this, we were able to kind of go through and um, you know, it was really the first, it, what was great about it was that it was a movie that we actually responded to public, to, uh, public suggestions you know, these MFing snakes on this MFing plane, that was actually something that we went back and reshot because so many people were wanted to see Samuel L. Jackson say, get these MFing snakes off this MFing plane. And uh, yeah, so there you go. I remember the trailer in the theaters just laughing. It was almost like, a, you know, a comedy skit, just how cliche the whole um, movie was put together and how easy it was to kind of hit that that target audience so super yeah, fun. And it, it was uh you know we had people were making t-shirts hats like you i mean it was unbelievable umbrellas it was just crazy and you know it was really the first sort of viral campaign that really kind of just was organic unfortunately the movie wasn't a huge hit uh yeah. but it, it, we it, all know it yeah it was, <laughs> who doesn't it, know it it was, it was, it was like you know, everybody knows the movie Office Space, which wasn't a, a huge hit, but it's kind of been a cultural icon. So yeah, it's yeah. Very much been that. So, so uh, you got to tell me, um, theaters are opening up on the East Coast. I don't think Pennsylvania, Philadelphia is getting it, no. but New York City is opening up, except for, I'm sorry, the well, city is not, not the state is. Yeah, the state New York is, is opening. open, which is yeah. great news, but New York City is not quite open yet. And with some of the surges that are happening in some of the boroughs there, I doubt it will open anytime soon. So, are you going to go to the see a show? Are you going to, what's the first thing you're going to see? I don't know. Is there anything to, to see? <laughs> I feel like you got to get your kids in the car, drive to the nearest yeah, theater that's open, I mean, and it reintroduce them to the good old fashioned movie picture well, the funny thing is in in the burbs of philadelphia there aren't a ton of movie theaters there's um there's uh, there's one in wayne pennsylvania it's the anthony wayne which is very old school sort of you know the big marquee out front um which isn't open yet uh we have the Bryn Mawr film institute which actually is very cool uh place but they're still closed um and then we have in king of prussia which is where the world america's largest mall is there's a United Artists, but I think they're still closed. So nobody's oh, yeah. really opened yet. Um, so, I mean, and I think part of that, because I was out of the problem, is there's nothing to show. Um, although I did see AMC announced, I think last week, that they're going to start running theaters out so people can do what you did a couple weeks ago. Yeah. With, uh, you know, you can rent it and they'll show, they have a, a, a library of titles they'll show for a certain price, which is kind of So I, I'm buying, Keith. Get your family and your best friends together, get on a train and get somewhere where they're playing and I'll, I'll pay. 
It's on me. <laughs> yeah, I'll see if I can make that happen. I don't know if anyone's going to want to get in the theater, though. Everyone's still paranoid and, you know. No, well, you got to get past it. Oh, only so many people. You got to get past it, man. You got to yeah, get past yeah. the fear. It's too good. All right, we got a lot to talk about this week. Yeah, we uh, do. The most obvious thing we have to talk about is this Quibi shutdown. Yep. It didn't even last six months uh, as, a, as a real entity. Um, big names like Katzenberg and Meg Whitman behind it. They thought they had all the money and, and opportunity and influence they needed to get the thing started. I, I got to be honest, I didn't even turn the thing on. I don't even, I never watched one of their shows. I know they had a lineup of shows, but I never had a space for their six minute videos. I never had space in my life to want to dedicate time to finding a six minute video I ever wanted to watch. I'm sure that's some of what the, um, the problem was with their, with their um, platform. Um, but it's kind of big news. It's kind of floating around the industry as this experiment that didn't, didn't play out. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, um, you know, uh, Katzenberg and Whitman released their, their letter today basically saying, well, it was either this idea wasn't right or the timing wasn't right. And in my mind, I, I call sort of BS on the idea uh, or the timing wasn't right, because as we've seen and what we'll get to later, um, some of the other like tick that we've been talking about, TikTok exploding, Snapchat had a really good uh, quarter. So people are consuming content and, you know, some of the, the streamers are, are increasing their subscribers. So I call BS on the sort of the, uh, the timing wasn't right. I think it was really just the idea wasn't right. And yeah. this wasn't wasn't what was going to work in sort of where we are in the world. Maybe four or five years ago, it might've had a shot. Um, but I think, you know, the reality comes down to that they really just didn't have anything to launch it on. If you look at all the other streamers, like, um, like Netflix had the DVD business sort of build a subscriber base. Hulu had all the big companies behind it with all the content and the library, Apple TV plus they had the iPhone subscribers. What did Quibi have? Mm -hmm. nothing they didn't have any content or library to rely on none of their content that they previewed was very exciting everyone was like what the heck is a quibby so they had to spend you know an enormous amount of cash to explain what they were and you know that doesn't it doesn't always isn't necessarily always the best way to launch a company per se yeah and i think i think that they they you're right they don't have a a platform necessarily to play it on they have to use someone else's device in order to make that happen their app is just another app and they weren't necessarily playing as a studio and putting their content on other people's platforms. They were just trying to keep it all within one ecosystem. That's going to have a, that's a major dig no matter what. Um, but if you ask me, some of their issue is like, you know, they, they tried almost what Netflix is trying, which is take big name actors, Anna Kendrick, uh, Liam, Liam Helmsworth, those, those names that have some notoriety and say, Hey, let's give them a show in a different format. See what plays out hoping that that actor draws the attention into the, onto the platform and does it. Um, but here's, you know, here's what we've been saying for, since the minute we've started this Hollywood breaks is that celebrity is dying. Like the thought that just cause it's a known, a known actor, if the content is, is not worth watching, it's not worth watching. You watch it for five minutes and you turn the thing off. Yeah. And I, I also think, uh, I mean, a large part of it also was, you know, they, they, when they first launched, you could only watch it on your phone. Like you couldn't watch it on TV, which to me was like, wait, what? Like you, it was almost counterintuitive to the idea that what we talked about last week, where consumers now want things where they want them, how they want it and when they want. It. And Quibi was going the way of the, you know, theatrical exhibition model. Be like, no, 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 you have to watch it on your phone. 
you can't watch it on your TV. And if you want to continue watching it when you get home, no, forget it. Um, and that to me was just sort of a big, they ultimately corrected it, but I think that was sort of a big mistake in terms of like user experience and giving the, the customer what they want. And I think that was another big hitch in their giddy up at the, at the get go. Yeah, I almost feel like they, in order to build Quibi, they just went around to all the, all the other successful businesses and took a survey and tried to do the best practices, right? So they have $1.7 billion to create content, which is way too much money to get something started. So they weren't <laughs> bootstrapping it early enough. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they, they followed like a Snapchat lead where they're like, okay, cool. You could do something only on phone and you could do it this format instead of this format. Uh, YouTube short videos or TikTok short videos, but they really just missed all the magic. The, the real reason why we want to watch content and the real reason why we want to create content is not to invent a new platform. The real reason why we want to create content is because the storyline is good. The characters are great and we want to find, find out what happens next. Right. If you can't engage that part of the, of the content, it doesn't really matter what your little magic trick is of all the other um, KPIs you can use to, yeah. to build a platform. Um, so unfortunately, they, just, they missed the mark. Um, but it doesn't seem like the all of Hollywood has given up on that format, really. The, um, I, I forged you that article earlier this week about Imagine Entertainment and their um, platform called Impact, which seems to be something similar, but what they're doing is really just lowering the bar for content creators. So they're not going for the high-end actors or directors, they're just saying, hey, people need to be able to create content and a format or a place to play that out, even with good mentors to, to teach people right. how to and, and oversee it. But that's the, where the magic really is. I think they might be working with the right priorities. Yeah, I think I think it just continues the you know the democratization of content that we've seen over the course of the last years, few years and months even. Um, I, I think the idea that you only have to go through some Hollywood barrier or one of the big Hollywood studios to get your content sort of out in the world or get it developed, I think is sort of a disservice to us as content makers and service disservice to the consumer because so much just gets ignored. I mean, I could just go back to my days in the development when I couldn't accept a script unless it came from an agent. So you can't even get your script in front of the right people unless you are able to convince an agent to sign you. And then even then, you're, you're, you know, and I got scripts all the time, even from the smaller agencies, and I, you know, I just didn't have time to read them. It's just like, because I'm also trying to read, do notes on what the you know, latest draft or what my boss is having me read. So it was like, it was really hard to sort of find the time to do that. And what this does is it enables people to sort of get through the door quicker. It's a lot like what YouTube did. YouTube enabled people to show off their content. And then with the development of the iPhone, enabled people to actually shoot the content in a very high quality way so that you don't have to necessarily have an agent. You can just put something up on YouTube and it becomes viral. And this enables people to have access to some of the, the talent who will make, be able to help them develop the piece from their experience and mentor it down the road with the sort of, you know, the, the genius of uh, uh, Brian Grazer and Ron Howard, who have always sort of been in the forefront of, you know, trying to find as many different ways to uh, discover new content as possible. And I think this is a really great way to do that. Yeah, it, honestly, it looks like they're basically playing the studio game and saying, mm -hmm. hey, we'll be platform agnostic. We don't honestly don't care where it's being distributed. I can't tell completely from what their, what their information says, but it seems that way. They're basically going for the content, the story creator, 
they and they're not doing big flashy billion dollar arrays and trying to get some gigantic building somewhere. They're yeah. looks like they're working at a WeWork uh, stations, bringing in JJ Abrams to teach a couple classes, and really almost taking USC Film School, making it a crash course, finding the best best talent out there, and then leveraging that talent to make content. Yep. If you're in the content game, that's what you want. And platform agnostic, agnostic is important. Why not? Why not be able to be able to make content that can show up on any platform, except for Quibi, obviously, yeah. but show up on any platform that can be seen? I, I, yeah. you know, we, we, have a, we have friends at Snapchat, and to know that the viewing audience with inside of Snap, it's not uh, it's talked about as, as everyone else, but like they're getting a pretty large viewing audience and, and a commercial in a commercial space, they have uh, five second commercials to interrupt the content. No one's complaining about that kind of commercial break in between there. And they even let the co content creator decide where that commercial break takes place. So it could be part of the storyline to leave that, yep. that cliffhanger at the beginning and end of a, of a um, commercial break. Um, all very, very clever ways of kind of dealing with it. Um, so I, I kind of like the, the formats that are playing themselves out. And um, I'm nothing against Quibi, but I, I guess I'm not too surprised. It didn't seem to, it seemed to be a big, put, big Hollywood push and this idea of big Hollywood players or influencers with a lot of money trying to buy their way into something that uh, honestly is completely unnecessary. Yeah, and I, I don't really think the, the, the creative community as a whole was sold on it yet. Um, you know, I remember you and I were at the streaming conference not too long ago back when they're, you know, actually conferences in person. <laughs> Those were the days. Back in the day. <laughs> um, you know, and even then, even before it launched, people just weren't, you know, we had, there were speakers there just like, I'm not sold on it. I don't know if it's going to work. It just, it, I, I mean, never doubt Jeffrey Katzenberg was sort of the, the going mantra, but at the same time, people were like, mm, I don't know. Is anybody really going to want to watch a six minute show on their phone? Uh, an idea that's three years past its prime who knows but obviously now we know um that that yeah didn't work, um, but you know uh, but here, here's what's interesting right so content is still king um i love that part of it uh hbo max has got a big boost um i think their numbers um where did they go keith from from four million um, uh they were four million i think last quarter up to they just uh, they just had an earnings call today i believe and they're up to like 8.6 million subscribers which so they beat estimates they doubled their subscriber base from last week, the new subscriber base from the previous quarter, which is all great news. And I think that was largely driven. They kind of took the Disney Plus slash Hamilton model and said, okay, let's get a really flashy bit of content and throw it up on the service and uh, get people to subscribe. And the bit of content was the West Wing reunion uh, where they brought all the cast back to do a quick sort of get out the vote um, type spot or, or show, I should say. And that really, you know, got a lot of people to sign up uh, for it. And I think that goes to show that, that you've got to have some sort of buzzworthy content to really kind of get people to be interested in sort of paying the price. Now, the goal is what will be interesting to see in the next quarter if there's any churn in terms of a, a, down, a downside in terms of whether or not people then cancel their subscriptions because they've watched it and now, okay, I'm now I'm done. I'm going to drop off. Um, or whether or not the HBO Max is able to get another piece of content up there just to continue to grow the subscriber base. So for that, for, you know, Warner Media, this is great news. You know, they started off a little rocky and, uh, you know, now they've sort of been able to grow the subscriber base, which is, which is great. 
Yeah, and I think uh, if they can get people to download the app, um, they already, they've solved half the problem. Yeah. Uh, get people to engage it, because HBO content has been premier content since the early 80s. You know, like, it's always been a place to go and find some of that original, amazing original content or great feature films. They should be able to carry that content over into um, th these new platforms. Uh, I think that uh, most of the HBO stuff I watch is through my Amazon subscription as well. There's a, there's a play in between the two. But yep. to get HBO Max up, uh, get things going, great idea with the reunion. I think they know their audience well. They're not trying to do some um, a big cultural event. They basically recognize they own content. They already have access to great content. Might as well use that and leverage that to create a, create a stronger audience. Um, and now we know where to find it, right? They did yeah. their whole naming issue is uh, working themselves out. Yeah, People I, can find it and download it, then they're in a good shape. Yeah, I think that that the naming confusion has sort of settled down now. Everyone who was on HBO Go or HBO Now now understands HBO Max, and that's where you have to go. I think that was part of the confusion because Go and Now were two very separate services. And I don't think the consumer. I was never really clear on it. I kind of had to really think. Okay, which one's the one you go if you have? If you have cable and which one is this, you know, just the internet subscription, but now it's all in one. And I think uh, the confusion has sort of gone down slightly. So now they, everybody knows that HBO Max is where you go if you want to watch HBO. Yeah. You want to do it through your, you know, cable or whether or not you want to just have it at access to a tablet or what have you, um, you know that HBO Max is where you need to go. So I think that sort of solved a lot of their er earlier issues in the launch. Yeah, and you can't, um, as we know, the what to watch problem that has to be solved has uh, one of the biggest hurdles right now is just mm -hmm. even to know what app to start with. If I, if I, if I want to start with, I don't know, start with YouTube, open up Netflix, maybe hit Amazon, how many more apps am I going to trickle down before I find something to watch? Yeah. I'm more likely to dig around through Netflix for 40 minutes than to switch through six different apps to find the one I want. So you have to drive me to that show. And I'd be willing to do the, the login process login and process. whatever to be get started. And then the, honestly, then the continual engagement that's on there. And I think that's where TikTok, Snapchat and others is once they, and YouTube, once they get you on the platform, they'll keep it going. Yeah. But which is interesting as a content creator to think about that is your job now isn't just to get people to watch your show. Your, your show needs to launch other shows on the platform that will help out with the success. It's almost like Thursday night television when, when you and I were growing up, they would take a really high end show. The second show uh, on the, in the second slot was something they were experimenting with, knowing that the first show would drive viewers into the second show to create some launch there. And yep. some of the better shows, including Seinfeld, had that place for a while. And then Seinfeld obviously becomes the primary show and something like Friends or whatever kind of takes up that second slot and can launch yep. it. Yep. That strategy is still necessary on all these platforms. Um, and I believe that's why something like TikTok is, is driving such an audience because once they get your the viewing audience in there and now with the AI technology that keep on feeding lookalike videos to you, mm -hmm. um, they'll waste every hour of your day and you never have to, never have to lose your, leave the platform. Um, so we really have a different responsibility now as content creators, not just making great content, telling the story and selling commercial space. We also have to sell other things on those platforms if we're going to do it well and do it right. Yep, exactly. Um, all the all the rules are changing, as we know. Um, here's what's interesting to me, though. Like, um, if I watch just, and I don't want to look too too small. So, and you always kind of kick my ass when I when I get this wrong. Um, but in reality, like, if I look at something where where Quibi is shutting down, Netflix Netflix misses their targets um, that they had proposed out there. Yep. Um, there's some shakeup going on, and just like the old Hollywood tradition and the new Hollywood tradition. 
Um, and if you ask me, it's just the ability to keep up with the demand. Um, the consumption rate is just so high on content nowadays that we can't be spending tons and tons of money and tons and tons of hours building these one-off shows or one-time shows and get it well and get it right. Um, the speed at which people create content affects the quality that's out there. And I think Netflix is one of those that are going to be hurting. You know, the Netflix has this problem where they have created such a great machine with so many um, viewers, but when they make their content own content, it's really not up to par. Yeah. I mean, the, the Netflix of it all is very interesting. You know, it's interesting because I, I recently just finished reading Reed Hastings uh, new book about Netflix and the culture of Netflix and, it, the basic thesis of it is, is, you know, we're a tech company. We came in to do things differently in the entertainment space. But the, if you look at it, they most recently, you know, did a, a churn in sort of their original content slash TV division. Uh, Sydney Holland, who's been there for years, was like Ted's right-hand man, right-hand woman. Um, so she's gone. And then there's a flurry of other execs that go out the door. And that's very traditional old Hollywood. Like when a new head comes in, they basically clear the deck and bring in their own people. But so your first reaction is when you hear someone leaves Netflix and say, oh, they failed their keeper test, which is this famous test that Netflix employees, you know, bosses take, which is more or less the question is, will I fight to keep this person if they get another offer? And if the answer to that is no, then it's time to show them the door. Um, you know, the idea is they get a very generous severance package. It's sort of the Netflix mantra. So if you think about it, so the idea is, okay, then maybe if, if it is still keeping to the Netflix model, then that means that Cindy, all, for all intents and purposes, failed her keeper test. And, but then the flip side of that was like, well, did all these other people fail the keeper test? Right. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. If it wasn't keeper test, then obviously Netflix is somewhat admitting that their strategy on TV isn't working and they need to bring somebody new in, which begs the point that you've just brought up is the, are people catching on that a lot of stuff on Netflix is not well-made and it's just, is the idea of just throwing buckets of money at people and say, make content versus someone like a Pixar who takes their time and really develops their stuff and makes sure it's top notch before you know, they bring their A game before they put anything out there. It, it, is that sort of, it, are the consumers catching on? And with all these bevies of streaming choices now, and the constant question everybody asks is, what is the maximum number of streaming services that each consumer will have at any given time? Some people have said three, some people have said four, some people say it'll just be a churn. It'll just depend on, like, I'll cancel my Netflix subscription until the next season of Witcher comes out or something along those lines. Um, but the, maybe the goal is that maybe people will just hold on and not cancel it. But at the same time, I think what Netflix missing their targets this last quarter, it means that the pressure is starting to, they're starting to feel it a little bit. It's starting to feel like the, all these competition, all these competitors are now starting to take a bite out of it. And maybe consumers are realizing, you know, Netflix doesn't necessarily have all the best content. Yeah, I, um, you know, the, what you, my dad taught me and your dad probably taught you is like, do it once, do it right. And I feel like Netflix did, doesn't understand that when it comes to their content creation. I have to, you have to imagine like you take a, you take a Octavia Spencer uh, piece of content 
Um, you know, I, I, it, here's an Oscar award-winning actress. Um, she costs a lot of money. They probably put a lot of dollars behind her. But then when you start watching the show, it's six or seven episodes and you can't get halfway through the first one. Yeah. Think about how much money they burned on five and a half episodes that I'll never watch, especially with an actress that they, with an actress that could have easily carried the show, but the overall quality and the people behind them weren't making it. If they did that over and over again, which from my experience, they did. Like the Andrew Kendrick uh, play things didn't play itself out. Um, like you, you're really just, um, what's the latest one? The uh, Nola Holmes, that thing is like, you're, it's not worth finishing the entire uh, session. And that's dollars that they've burnt with various little viewing time, viewing occupied time. And that's really what we're buying. It's like, we're asking them, hey, occupy our time. I'll give you money to occupy my time. And if you don't do it, I'm gonna skip somewhere else. The value, value proposition, proposition isn't there. Um, it goes to that idea that I have of like the inverted content curve like the amount of money it takes to get people to view. An old studio model says it's worth spending $100 million to get people to watch an hour and a half worth of content. We'll capture their money up front and, and the movie theater tickets, and then we'll get a long tail model and video and, and distribution and so on. Yeah. Um, if, you'd give, if you put even just $10 million into a piece of content that you're only watching for five minutes, um, and that what's the, the price per minute for me to watch it. And then there are other platforms out there that pay $0 and will occupy my time for two and a half hours, YouTube, TikTok, Snapchat, whatever those things are. It's very hard to keep up with that when you're trying to outspend free and in the viewing time and, and booty audience. So, um, there's a lot of players that are playing this game and playing it. Well, going back to the idea of, uh, Ron Howard and Brian Glazier and their in, impact studio, realizing, oh, it's good to be on the studio side, the content creation side, the storyline side, be platform agnostic and see what plays itself out there. They'll more likely get longer tails and longer leads playing that side of it than yeah. trying to be the platform itself. Yeah, it's interesting because you know the whole platform agnostic idea of it all is kind of what all, a lot of the bigger companies are doing. Like what we talked about last week with Disney and sort of them creating this whole division that's gonna more or less figure out where the best distribution channel is. And you can see that they're all starting to realize, like, let's just produce the content and then we can figure out the best place to do it rather than just being solely like, no, it has to be theatrical. Here are the revenue streams for theatrical. It has to be streaming. It has to be uh, SVOD or whatever it is versus just trying to think about, let's take a look at this piece of content, let's analyze where the best place for it is versus just going in, assuming it's going to be X, Y, or Z. Yeah, I almost feel like some of the big players thought they were playing the same game and the same war that paid, played in the past. The uh, uh, VHS um, versus um, Betamax war or the, the DVD wars that took place, right? Where we watch Blu-ray or Disney, uh, Disney DVD Plus or these other formats that we've been out there. I feel like the bigger players thought they're playing a format war and they're basically saying, hey, let's, you know, I'll beat you on my OTT platform over your OTT platform. But what as consumers were saying is like, no, that format's all the same. Yeah. Like if I'm watching it on an app, I'm watching an app, it doesn't matter which app it is. And most of these apps don't have any different kind of uh, content construction or um, navigation than any other one. Like I'm either swiping like this, you know, Facebook, <laughs> TikTok style, or I'm right. looking at channels like Netflix and, and Disney yeah. Plus or whatever. There's no breakthrough on the formats that's playing out. So they, I think they thought they were playing a game and, and trying to uh, win a war that actually it doesn't exist. The war already took place. It's do I watch it on television or do I watch it on an app? 
Um, that's the that's the proposition there. And if you ask me, the winner there, the iPhone, right, or yeah. Apple TV. It's the one yeah. that moved us over to the 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 format, and and you know, arguably maybe Android uh, consumption as well. But the telephone, the phone being the consumption piece of the television, that's the format war that took place. And yeah. these content creators had nothing to do with it. Um, yeah. They're just playing along within the field. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I could say Comcast's in their uh, set top boxes not winning. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not winning. <laughs> uh, you know, like I sometimes I still look at our remote control, and it's so those remote controls are just so complicated. Um, they don't make any sense. The search engines don't make any sense. Um, if you don't smell something correctly, it doesn't get us there. There's a, there's so much missing in that user experience that other platforms that's clearly nailed. Yeah. Um, it's got to be hard to uh, try to catch, play catch up, especially in a, a tech space where some other little uh, unknown entity can pop its way up in there and win, win and in the, for a little while. So the entire model. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but here's the good news, right? As content creators, we really still have the opportunity to, to be a player in the field. And um, when it comes to the creation of content and, and that viewing, um, creating viewers, that's what the game's all about. We have to be recognizing what the experience is and why people are watching shows. I still think we get it backwards sometimes uh, when, we're, when we're thinking things through of what's most popular today is what I wanna replicate. And in reality, you have to understand just the economics of it so that you get not just the one pop hit that you're looking for, but actually a, a long-term career choice. Uh, that's what we're looking for in the content space, um, which that's why I like uh, some of the stuff um, and have, you know, kind of looked into more of what the Brian Grazier, um, Ron Howard proposition is. I just think there's so much more available to the content creators and really the viewers and Hollywood when we focus on those, that kind of um, uh, space than yeah, trying I to win over the tech space. Yeah, my hope is that we get beyond the whole because typically when you, you either hear a pitch or you get a script, there's always, it's the it's sort of this meets that. So it's sort of, the idea is that you want to hook an executive or someone in Hollywood based on the fact that this is very, you take two successful movies. Like you could say like, um, this is like Romancing the Stone meets Meet the Parents or something like that. To sign a really, wow, Romancing the Stone, I really pulled that one out. Yeah, uh, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, just sort of, uh, it, the idea that there's two hit movies so that they can get a, an encapsulation of what the movie is, but it's also because they're hit movies. So you can think that, oh, this is a hot idea. That this, is, this is the next big thing. But now with all the sort of distribution choices, the hope is that it'll more like, oh, this is just a great piece of content or a great idea for a piece of content. And we have all these avenues that we can now address for it. Let's see, let, let's develop the idea and see where, where, you know, the best fit is. And then we can sort of go from there. And, hopefully we move away from that sort of very traditional idea of like, it has to be something that's been mimic something that's been done before. So maybe the shift now will be moving away from sort of remakes and based on previously existing IP and maybe more on sort of the original creative ideas that sort of really spur a lot of people to get excited about going to see movies and excited to turn on Netflix or what have you. So hopefully maybe we'll get back to that a little bit more and hopefully that's changed. We'll continue to see more of it. Yeah, and if you ask me, like something like Netflix is really a breakthrough for the documentary film group where there are stories that needed to be told and a platform is for it. And it, you know, the, the, to have a platform where some of those stories that 
um, didn't really have a place, now have a very long tail place to play that stuff out. And if that follows your interest, you don't care about the quality of it. In that case, you're more interested in the content of what, it, what the storyline is, um, what the history of the event is, whatever, the, whatever that uh, documentary is about. So um, I think that's pretty clear. The Social Dilemma documentary that's been um, really at the top of the, the food chain for the last uh, month or so, the Tiger King stuff that had yep. its stuff played out. Those that would have never had a platform in, in any other experience, maybe yeah. on like sci-fi or something like that. But, yeah, but um, they wouldn't have been the, seen and they wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have caught on. I mean, I think yeah. it's because they were on a place like Netflix because that's where most people go when they first turn on their TV, like, oh, what's on Netflix? And then, you know, they start finding it and then they tweet about it and it just kind of organically grows from there. Yeah, and that data-driven kind of viewership that would could recommend the videos to other other lookalikes is uh, allows for that to take place. Um, that's one of the better break breakthroughs that we have in this um, this new economy. Yep, agreed. Well, with Quibi uh, shutting itself down, I think that um, we all know that something is moving and shaking within Hollywood. Um, so at least we know. At least we have a show like this to keep us posted and kind of speculate yeah. what's out there. This um, is what I I'll think just... is going to happen. It's like the the world just completely i mean as of like, like yesterday morning i was like what are we going to talk about this week and then in a matter of 24 hours it's like oh there it is <laughs> yeah right there in front of us jeffrey katzenberg man like yeah you know, there's a, there a whole fight over him just uh, a decade two decades ago i guess and now uh he's just uh, just a name a has-been name i'm going to guess most people on tiktok have never even heard of jeffrey katzenberg or know Probably. of what, what his contribution I mean, is I mean, yeah i mean we know about because we're geeks about hollywood and, and everything that he's done and in his career at Paramount Disney and what have you. So, um, you know, I guarantee you most people at TikTok have no idea who he is. Yeah. Women for that matter. <laughs> One of my kids asked me recently, I, I made a comment and he said, wait, so Spielberg was part of DreamWorks? I was like, yeah, that's the SKG. <laughs> yeah, he is the S, Spielberg. And then he's like, well, who are the other people? I'm like Katzenberg and Geffen. And they're like, yeah, I'm still lost. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> like, oh, yes, we yeah, I don't, want to, I don't want to get too deep into it. <laughs> well, thank you again, my friend. It's good to see your face this, uh, this morning and uh, be part of all this fun stuff that's happening within the Hollywood uh, space. Um, I know that um, we, we kind of put this on hold, but it seems like in the gaming space, a lot of great things are happening. Um, I just had a conversation this morning with uh, the, the crew that I know that's doing League of Legends uh, finals out in China right now. Um, and that whole entertainment space is just booming. So we're gonna have to do a, um, an episode soon just in the gaming uh, space. What we need is not breaking news happening in the television or film space so we can have full this. Yeah, seriously, so we can take like, a breather and be like, oh, we can talk about something else because nothing happened this week. <laughs> yeah, right. But I couldn't pass up with the Quibi shut down. Just yeah, it was, too, it was too big to not talk about it. That's right. Yeah, no doubt. No. Well, thank you again, Keith. Good to see your face. And thank you again to our producers and uh, creative people who will be on this scene. Lydia, I can't do it without you. Ethan, thanks for uh, kind of keeping things going and uh, moving things behind the scenes for us. My team at RevThink, thanks for all that you guys are doing. And until next week, uh, when we do Hollywood Breaks again, have a great weekend and we'll see you next week.